Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hey guys, welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Hope you guys are all doing well today. I want to remind you of the sponsor of the month. The sponsor of the month happens to be the Shepherd's Crook. I want to invite you to the intensive that's happening May 11th through the 13th in Eminence, Missouri. You can come together with a group of guys from all over the country, and we're going to be learning from Joshua Jenkins and the Hope Baptist crew. Would love for you to be there. It's $185 if you just want to camp, and that includes not just the campsite, it includes the food and the river trip for two days, 40 day or 40 miles plus floating on the river. If you want to stay in a cabin, the cost gets bumped up to about $300, but that covers the entire cost. So I want to encourage you to follow the link in the show notes, check that out and register today. It's open. Would love to have you guys be a part of that. It is a great privilege today that I have to talk to a friend and a brother, new friend. I've, I've not actually met him and I'm going to be getting to know him as you are as you're listening along. This is Dale Partridge. Dale, how's it going, brother? Hey, man, I'm excited to be here. Great. Uh, you know, lo- love the name of your podcast. Um, you know, I've grown up over the last, in my ministry years, going to the Shepherds Conference, and it has the logo, which is the Shepherds uh, staff, you know, and the crook. And just it's just nice to be able to see yes. uh, that you guys have this name. And um, yeah, excited to have a conversation about life and ministry and hopefully be edifying for those that are following along. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help. And uh, we pray knowing that he hears us and, and he answers prayer. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for a brother. I thank you for the, the way that we can redeem technology. We see all the ways that it's being misused and misapplied. And we have this opportunity to talk about you and things that, that, that seek and aim to honor you. And so we pray that that we would meet that goal. We pray that everyone listening in would be encouraged and challenged and would be helped along the way in ministry. I thank you for what you've done in Dale's life and in his family. I'm excited to get to know him a little bit and uh, for for my listeners too as well. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for those that may not be all that familiar with you, many of my listeners will already know you, know your name and, and have listened to some of your work, but why don't you go ahead and bring us up to speed and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is that you do. Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Southern California, I moved to Oregon uh, a little bit after we got married, 2014. We got married 2010, so going on 13 years of marriage, and we uh, uh, lived in Oregon for some time. I was in the business space before I was in ministry in 2016, 2017, really went into full-time ministry, uh, spent some time in seminary at Western Seminary, spent a little more time at seminary at the Master's Seminary, and uh, got a chance to really walk a little slow into that ministry calling and get my preaching uh, refined, uh, get my exegesis and interpretation and exposition refined, understand some of the biblical languages and take my Greek classes and understand systematic theology. And, and at the same time, I started writing uh, books more recently, uh, The Manliness of Christ and um, a, a book on systematic theology and introduction called The Ground of Good Theology. I wrote a children's book on uh, biblical gender identity called Jesus and My Gender, and that was uh, it's been a, a best-selling children's book, which has been an incredible uh, thing that I never thought I would be doing. <laughs> and uh, I do have uh, my wife and I. We have uh, four children. We have uh, see nine, seven, five, and going to be born in July. 
So, okay. uh, so we're, we're excited for, uh, that season. I, uh, run a ministry called relearn.org and we basically have a mission to bring the church back to the Bible. Um, the way that manifests is really strengthening biblical and theological literacy in the church. So we want to help people, average Christians understand basic theology and we do that from a variety of means, including writing books and articles and podcasts. Uh, we're launching a, a new app this spring that will have uh, a beautiful guided devotion with um, also some uh, catechisms for children and a variety of other resources that help, again, strengthen that theological understanding. I think a lot of people in the church today have a Bible and they actually read it. Um, but the problem is they don't understand it. We, we know that because we have such bad theology in the West. And so the answer isn't always read the Bible more. Mm -hmm. uh, the purpose of Ephesians 4 is that God said that he's given us shepherds and pastors and teachers, essentially, that are for the edification of the saints, the building up of the ministry, you know, for um, uh, for the church. And so we we need those teachers in tandem with our Bible reading to make sense and explain what we're reading. And so um, I think that sometimes uh, you don't need to read more Bible. Um, sometimes you actually need to read a theology book so that you can understand understand the Bible that you read. Hmm. And, and so there's a balance between there. It's an oscillating balance that goes back and forth. Read your Bible, understand some of the teaching. That's why the commentaries obviously historically have been so popular and useful uh, for people. You know, we have like the Matthew Henry uh, commentary that's just a more devotional commentary that's easy for the average person to read or, mm -hmm. you know, MacArthur Reformation study Bible. And so we want to go down that same road as helping the average Christian understand the basics around theology and the gospel uh, so that we can have more gospel fluent people yeah. um, that understand the mechanics of, of how they were saved and they can communicate that to others, including their families and children. Wonderful. I was preaching at the end of 2018 and I preached a text. I've always preached expositionally through books of the Bible, but I bumped up into a passage at, at the end of 2018, and it was Jesus' words in Mark uh, chapter 9. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and evil generation, I will be ashamed of him before my father and before the holy angels. And it was a it was kind of a, a Holy Spirit moment of, of grabbing by the shoulders. And, you know, I've said to our listeners and to our church, I you know, I've always wanted to preach the scriptures unapologetically, but, but that something happened. It was like a, a switch that was flipped on. That there was just such freedom to say we, we are not at liberty to ever be ashamed of what God has to say. We love God's word and we embrace God's word. We're never embarrassed. And like that theological liberal, liberalism always starts with that, that subtle embarrassment about what God has to say. So I love what you're doing, bringing the scriptures and saying here, we, we need to be reacquainted with God's word. And for many Christians, even not just be reacquainted, but really be taught uh, almost from the beginning stages of here's how you understand God's word. So I love what you're doing. I actually just flipped open my iTunes and looked at the podcast, your podcast, Relearn Podcast, right before I got on here. And uh, it's almost like 7,000 or something reviews on there, 4.9 rating. And so it seems like the ministry has been tremendously blessed. I mean, what's it been like to be on that side of it, to see that kind of growth? And I don't know if the other sides of the ministry have been growing like the podcast has, but it seems like it's just like wildfire. So, I mean, what, what's that been like watching God, you know, bless the fruit of your, the, the work of your hands? Yeah. You know, it's been one of these things over the last couple of years that every December or January, I go, well, I guess the Lord wants us in ministry for another year. 
because we get, you know, a donor that comes in and says, here's $50,000 or something. Uh, or we get a book that, you know, sells 5,000 copies in three months or, or whatever it may be. I just go by God's grace alone <laughs> is, is why we're continuing to do what we do. We've just been faithful and, uh, it's, it's not easy. I mean, it's been mm. a long journey. Um, five years is, is no short time, but you, when you think about it, just weekend, week out, weekend, I mean, pastors know this, they just, it's just faithfulness. It takes really five years to start even noticing real fruit in a congregation. And so we're, we're experiencing that same thing here. We're mm. essentially, um, you know, you've heard the phrase, it takes 10 years to build an overnight success. Um, it's, we're seeing that same thing here. Um, yeah, the podcast essentially the last couple, maybe the last year and a half, the podcast has just become a place where I re, uh, present my sermons from Sunday and I give a little more discussion format of them. I'm going through Romans right now and seemingly it's been just a, a great blessing, um, uh, to go through Romans. And we've had so many people that have started following along that journey. Hmm. And so I'm just shocked. I just go, Lord, I'm not worthy of having so much influence. And so, uh, you know, Billy Graham once said years ago, oh, Lord, don't let me do anything today that will ruin all these years. Hmm. Um, and it was obviously an idea that, okay, I, I don't want anything to happen in my personal character or failure uh, to ruin my reputation, everything that you've built by your grace upon my life. And so there is a heavy weight of responsibility that's mm -hmm. coming as influence grows, you, you start to feel that. And so, um, you know, greater self-control, greater responsibility. And so we've been blessed, but yeah, it's yeah. been a great show, real Christianity. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome to join on that journey of going through Romans and, and, awesome. uh, it can't be any better than Lloyd Jones. Um, so, <laughs> I, I I've been listening to Lloyd Jones, uh, you know, almost every week before I, I do my exposition. And then I'm, I'm also looking at Robert Haldane, um, who wrote a commentary on Romans for banner of truth, mm -hmm. uh, as well as you know Matthew Henry and some John Gill. And so I'm, I'm really extracting a lot that has historically already been found. And, um, uh, it's been a, it's been a blessing, not just to awesome. other people. I've got Lloyd Jones on my shelf over there and he was such a tremendous help. We went through Romans a few years ago and you mentioned John Gill. This is a plug on why never to use USPS. I sold my John Gill commentary set. It was a Baker edition and uh, I had two copies of this commentary set. I sell it for $500 on eBay and I go to USPS to ship it. And in the process of shipping, it disappears out of thin air. We, we never found it. Don't know where it went. So I had to send my second copy of John Gill commentary said it wasn't a Baker edition. It wasn't as nice of a of edition, but I had to send that as well. So now I'm out of my John Gill commentaries on the entire Bible. <laughs> so a lesson learned, don't ship expensive things, USPS. Okay. Now you mentioned, let's go back a little bit, rewind. You said uh, married in 2010. So my wife and I got married in 2010. Just a curious personal question here. So what month in 2010 did you guys get married? We got married in February. Yeah. And February. Uh, so okay. we're, we're coming up on an anniversary here soon. And um, yeah, so we, our kids are, are sounding like they're in close ages. So yeah, I have a, my daughter's nine and 
um, it's just weird yeah, having kids that get older and yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, you realize that they get older and you forget that you're also getting older. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's just a journey that uh, yeah. we're experiencing in love every season. Yeah, that's fun. Similar stages of life you guys are and, and we are as well. A lot of fun things. I, I experienced a lot of things in my 30s that many people get to experience or at least used to experience in their 20s. But it's been a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to the next decade as I'm getting closer and closer uh, to see what the Lord's going to do. Okay, so simultaneous to all this ministry stuff that's going on, I was watching uh, Instagram story the other day and you had mentioned some health uh, difficulties that you've experienced over the years. You ended up moving to Arizona. Uh, it seems like pretty recent, but I am curious to to know what was this whole deal with your just physical health and that condition and how that played into the things that are going on. Cause it seems like the ministry side of things were happening as well as the difficulties that you were experiencing in your, in your physical body. So how did that all play out? And it seems like you're in a better place now. Just kind of walk us through that if you would. Yeah. Um, yeah. In 2018, 2019, I started getting sick which, uh, you know, goes in tandem with ministry. I feel like the Lord obviously, uh, per, you know, permits some of these experiences of suffering to humble and, uh, offer uh, an empathy to, you know, struggles and suffering and tragedies and trials. And so, um, the Lord gave me a, a season of illness uh, that I'm still walking through in some degree, but, uh, we found out that after several years, I was very sick, getting having seizures and kidney issues and um, internal, you know, gut issues, internal bleeding. I mean, just mm. it was pretty serious. Brutal. I mm. Lost a bunch of weight, and um, and you know, it, it destroyed my immune system. We couldn't figure out for why for so long, but we eventually found out that that uh, we had mold in, in our house or somewhere in our my office, or we, it took us a while to kind of figure out the logistics of that. But essentially, I had mold toxicity, um, and it was a naturopathic doctor that had me take a mold test in my urine, and and uh, so we 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 relocated from uh, Oregon to uh, Arizona in a dry, warm climate, and uh, my body, you know, along with a whole bunch of different supplements and different, uh, you know, getting more sun, getting more sleep, getting more water, getting more sweat, um, um, you know having some, some different forms of exercising, de-stressing, but all the while I'm still doing ministry, which was mm -hmm. terrible. Uh, because it was, there was times where I was, I was pretty sick. Um, mm. literally sometimes the only thing I would get out of bed for is to preach on Sunday. Um, mm. and, and so it, it became a pretty difficult season. Uh, however, over the last year and a half, I have uh, improved significantly uh, by God's mercy on my life and uh, still have, uh, you know, a road to go. Um, you know, I still have some issues that go on with my body every day. Uh, so I, I'm definitely chronically ill. Um, so mm. I, I struggle with something every day, um, but it, it usually doesn't take me out from normal life. It's just, I'm, I'm basically walking with a limp. Okay. And, um, you know, even as we're talking right now, I have like an issue with my throat that essentially is just, uh, one of those things. And so, mm. you know, some days make it difficult to talk for long. Um, some days I won't think about it for weeks. Um, and so there's just a whole bunch of things that happen that when your body's ravaged by toxins like that, it takes years to, to heal and mm. to detox wow. that stuff out. And uh, we're doing it. And I have an incredible wife that, you know, walked through that whole thing with me. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, 
we know suffering. So it softened us for sure. This, it definitely made me a better pastor, a better mm-hmm. shepherd. I, I land myself on more of a, um, a bold proclaimer. Okay. If I'm going to be identified as a reformer, it would probably be John Knox. Okay. Uh, meaning that, that, um, I'm not the emotional guy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dane Ortland, um, or someone soft on maybe kind of the, the gentle Jesus side, you know, w- would maybe think of me as being a little bit heartless, uh, while I would maybe look at someone like that as a little bit spineless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that balance of heart, heart and spine. And, uh, I find that there's pastors that are either really good at balancing heart and spine, which I think is a fantastic balance, which is what we see in Christ. Um, and then there are people that are just got a lot of spine, but they, they're just not really good, uh, one-on-one or empathetic. Mm-hmm. And then you have people that are on the other side that have a lot of heart, but just end up being tolerant of sin and compromise in certain areas that they shouldn't compromise. Um, I find that in more of the creative space, the worship leaders do that often. Yeah. And, and so th- there's just this balance that I've noticed. And I-, I lean a little bit more on the spine side. So I'm a little bit more intense than the average pastor. Uh, and if anyone has critiqued me, I would have less of a heart. And so suffering <laughs> was, uh, was an interesting season that the Lord, I think, increased that sense of sympathy and empathy and mm-hmm. humor. Yeah. Uh, I obviously needed. Well, I'm sure it provided challenges as well, just being a husband and a father and having younger children. And at that particular stage of life, they're running around and they're full of energy. And I imagine that was difficulty on the home front as well, trying to navigate that and figure out, okay, how do I, how do I do what's needed, you know, needed to be done in our home without feeling, you know, well, and uh, man, I can imagine that being kind of multi-layered in your experience of life over the last several years. And I guess the relief also of stepping into a new environment and feeling better. I, I'm, I'm assuming that there's a lot of rejoicing and just feeling better and gaining weight and being in a better environment. I, I bet you're in, a, it seems like anyways, you'd be in a really good spot. Yeah, it certainly is, has felt like more time, hmm. like I've been given more time. I mean, there was a season there that I was preparing my kids for me to die. I mean, hmm. wow, it was a... It was, you know, I, I never really said it directly, but I was saying things to them. Hey, you know, if mom or dad ever dies, just don't be mad at God because that's God's sovereign will. There's no accidents and mm-hmm. God is sovereign. He takes us when he wants to take us. And I, I was just preparing them for that reality. Um, and yeah, it was a season. So it just feels like I, I often say like, man, I'm so excited about ministry. I just hope the Lord just lets me live. Yeah, and so I, I don't take any of those things for granted. Um, I, I'm I'm still having lots of limitations in sense of I eat, you know, basically the same lunch and dinner for the last two years. Okay, so I have very little variety in my diet, um, and I have enough variety that I'm not like malnourished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I'm no foodie, yeah. right? and so. It, it uh, has given me an immense amount of self-control. Food does. You just can't eat what anybody else has. Mm-hmm. My wife, like I can smell right now. She made blueberry muffins. There's no mm-hmm. way that I can. Okay. Um, 
And so there's just things like that, that, that you just learn to have self-control. And I often think the Lord maybe brought me through this season as a way to just amplify my, my self-control. Mm-hmm. Well, and if, if you can control yourself around food and drink, mm-hmm. um, you can control yourself around a lot of things. Yeah. And so it, kind of a dominating of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but yeah, lots of lessons learned there. And, you know, I think it was, um, what was it? Spurgeon who said, if you always, um, preach to a suffering flock, you'll never be without a congregation. Hmm. Um, and that, that's what I find as a pastor is that every single person has something going on mm-hmm. that is not great. That mm-hmm. suffer. Their, their mom's sick. Their, their kids got a potential surgery coming up. Their marriage isn't right. The, their job doesn't make enough money. They, whatever it is, the, the mm-hmm. people constantly, you don't get to hear it often because we live in an independent and individualized church environment that is focused on more autonomous relationships than committed intimacy. But we, we need to realize that everybody's life, whether their social media profile looks great or not, mm-hmm. they're dealing with something yeah. that, that is difficult for them. Yeah. Well, let's shift tons of good stuff already. Let's shift a little bit. And I want to just throw out a few questions, maybe really one question about theological trends. And so follow my train of thought here. When I was in college was the front end. I was uh, in college from 2002 to two, mid two, through the mid 2000s. And Piper was huge. Loved Piper, Driscoll, Chandler in 2000. Uh, let's see, four or five, 2004, I worked with uh, summer camp with, with Matt Chandler and he would just become pastor of this church. And so I, I started this podcast thing where I was listening to podcasts and it was Chandler. And so then I got into Piper and Driscoll. And actually when I was looking up Mars Hill church, trying to hear sermons from Rob Bell, I landed on Mark Driscoll and started to think like, this is different. I, I like this a little bit better than this, this Rob Bell guy. And, you know, the, trend then was uh, a shift away from prosperity theology, a a shift away from uh, what we thought was a shift from some of the seeker sensitive model. Now, now looking back, what Acts 29 was, is basically uh, seeker sensitivity. It was, you know, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, Andy Stanley 2.0. It was a a Calvinistic soteriology. uh, And, but it was pretty much just a lot of repackaged stuff. And, And now looking back, I can see some of that. Uh, but well, along with that was suffering is like suffering was really in because, you know, Piper was really in and we hate prosperity theology, suffering, suffering, suffering is great. Uh, we we love it. And then, you know, fast forward a decade and Joe Rigney brings some some, uh, uh, you know, the things of Earth is beautiful. I love the things of Earth. A great book. And OK, wait a minute. The material world isn't isn't evil and, and money, sex and power isn't necessarily wrong. And we don't want to be Gnostics and, and we don't want to be over pietistic and all the stuff that we talk about. And then complementarianism is limp wristed and it's 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 one step away from egalitarianism. And so now we're biblical patriarchs and I love it and love Michael Foster and love Douglas Wilson. And yes, lo- yes, yes. And then, you know, we hate that during, um, you know, Father's Day, the men get hammered and the, the women, you know, or nobody ever says that they sin. And and so we got to start addressing the sins of women that are particular to them. And OK, so here, here's my question. You wrote The Manliness of Christ. 
And I'm all aboard the biblical uh, patriarchy and have been for several years and, and had uh, talked to Foster on the show and, and Eric Kahn and, and all the who's who of biblical patriarchy. Okay. Douglas Wilson, all of that. How, how do we maintain instead of the, the pendulum swim? No, suffering's cool now. Biblical patriarchy is cool now. Uh, no, we're going to speak to the sins of women now instead of avoiding the sins of women. How do we not over um, course correct? Because in some of the, what I can see guys doing with biblical patriarchy is embracing brashness. And instead of a humble spirit, which, uh, which, you know, even John Knox needed to walk in obedience to the Lord. So how do we avoid um, seeing biblical patriarchy being just another trend that we talk about in 10 years and look back on and say, this was the trend and here's where we needed to course correct. How, how do we walk in obedience rather than always being on a ditch one way or, or the other? Yeah. So biblical patriarchy can never be wrong in the sense of it can never be, it can never be executed incorrectly because it's biblical now. Yeah. Amen. That's good. We're sinners. We're sinners. So we will have flawed application of that theology. Um, but if you, if, if you remain biblical, um, then you must remain like Christ. You must remain loving. You must remain sacrificial. You, you must remain compassionate. I mean, the head to the body is not you know, the, the reason that Paul uses this structure, like in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, that man is the head of woman. Uh, he doesn't use the analogy of master and slave. Uh, he uses the analogy of head and body, which are connected and required to work together. And they're, co they're complementary. They're, they're, they're not competing. They're they're in union. Um, the head is still obviously in control, but they need one another. And the ethic is that there's actually mutual love. And so there's a lot of things that complementarianism got right. Um, but what they got wrong is that we're actually different, like actually different, hmm. uh, not just in roles, but actually like in glory. Uh, we're, we're different in, in spiritual authority. Um, we're different in biology, you know, we're, we're, we're different. And so um, when we think about, uh, you know, authority structures that has been given to us in creation, you know, um, you know, man, man is made for God and from God. Woman is made for man and from man. And so the, the purpose of the woman and bringing identity and clarity, uh, you know, she's still made in the image of God, um, but she's made from man and mm -hmm. for man. Um, and her, her, her very existence is, is because of the need of the man. And um, God uh, or Adam or man is, is really from God and for God and is the image and glory of God. And so there's some beautiful stuff that we need to understand under biblical patriarchy, but it needs to be done right. I mean, the way that God submits or Christ submits to God in first Corinthians 11 and woman submits to man. You might actually, you actually understand this. Uh, if you read that passage of scripture, I was just looking at it. I think I might even have it up still. Um, it says, uh, it's an interesting way that it words it here. Let me say, it says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and that man is head of woman. 
and God is the head of Christ. Doesn't it seem like an odd way of stating structure? Like, wouldn't you just say like, God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman, right? Yeah, right. Like, uh, why, why did he say it differently? And when you study that passage of scripture, you start to see that Paul is basically making a literary visual for women to see the point that um, that there can be submission among equals. And that essentially, you know, if you had like, if you had like God with an arrow under and having Christ below him, mm-hmm. and then you had man and with an arrow and then below and woman. And so basically, uh, you know, he's offering a word picture that shows submission among equals and more importantly, the mutual love that makes that submission possible. So hmm. he's implying to men and women, uh, men and women, like, hey, look, Christ can submit to God in his earthly ministry. And therefore, woman can submit to man. I mean, these are submission among equals, right? And so if Christ can do it, then, then woman can do it. The other side of it is that is that men, um, you're put in a position of authority because you're the glory of, of God. Um, mm-hmm. That glory that is unique for men is that he man is made as a ruler and having dominion in which the woman is not. And so um, a man has to also look and act like God in the sense of, um, you know, the the characters of God, which is going to be, you know, love and, and, um, and sacrifice and, and walking in that role well. And so that's essentially very important to have that perspective. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that's, there's all this that's going on here in that text mm-hmm. that is very helpful to have as a bib- understanding biblical patriarchy. And it has to be acknowledged um, if you struggle with the design, you know, because when we hear the word headship, I think a lot of people want to throw up. And so, you know, you're like, oh, what is headship? And so understanding that this is God's perfect design, God, man didn't, like, man didn't choose uh, to be the head of the woman, like, like they were endowed with that statement by the creator. And mm-hmm. there's no for men to boast in that privilege of authority, but should by God's grace, it should really cause them to have the weight of responsibility that comes upon them from having such a blessed authority. Now, and women shouldn't feel any reason to have a sense of oppression because their location in the chain of authority was ordained by a holy and all wise God. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately men and women both have a station and both have a role and together, when lived out according to scripture, they'll give glory to God. And so there's just some beautiful intricacies that are there. And if you remain biblical, you'll always be safe. Yeah. The moment is you start to miss. And that's why I think there needs to be deep theology and training on what it means to have biblical patriarchy um, so that we can reflect God and, and a woman can reflect the submission that Christ submits to the equal uh, of the Trinity. And so there's some beauty there that needs to occur. Yeah, I like that. And even your first statement after the question, it, biblical patriarchy can never be wrong. So the imbalance isn't due to the doctrine. The imbalance is due due to the application or misunderstanding or sin in the life or of the of the man or the woman when it comes to responding to God's word. I love that. It's and so as long as we're we're aiming to be biblical, we want to be biblically faithful. And uh, okay, keep, keeping in this theme of of uh, theological trends here. So you're postmillennial, and I, I've been postmillennial since 2018. And my path into postmillennialism was partial preterism, and that 
really, I think, has been the, uh, as, as far as the modern wave of postmillennialism has been the front door for many people to get into that particular uh, persuasion with eschatology. You were at Master's Seminary for a while, um, which is a classic, you know, dispensational premillennial school um, in the same kind of trend as MacArthur. And uh, so I was uh, watching a, a cross politic the other day and responded to one of their shows and on the episode, Darren Doan gave credence to uh, what seems like Gary DeMar's trajectory of full preterism, which would would Max King and even where David Chilton seemed to end his life. And uh, so in, from your perspective, how, you know, you've been in these two camps here and it seems like there is a massive trend into postmillennialism. Forget, you know, Amil, forget. And I think the, the clash of an understanding sphere of sovereignty over the last few years has also thrown thrown people into postmillennialism. For you though, let, let's start guardrails since you've been in the in in different worlds and in you know different camps with partial preterism. Where are the guardrails of avoiding you know the full full on preterism, and uh, wh where do you put the stop there? And uh, and I'm curious when you became post mill was it in the midst of master seminary or what was your process to get there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the fear of full preterism is that you reject a whole bunch of scripture that is very clear regarding the resurrection um, and regarding the restoration of the heavens and the earth. I mean, there's just there's just too much at stake there. It always shocks me how anybody could go there. I think theology can become romantic. And theology has to be based in scripture because we will believe what we want to believe. A lot of people I think are post mill because they just want to believe it. It's a better way to believe, mm -hmm. but it's true. And that's, that's, <laughs> I remember telling my wife, I want to be post mill, but I can't see it yet. And, and like when someone tells me they're post mill who, you know, probably doesn't have any theological training i i i i've assumed that they've basically adopted the position because they like mm -hmm. the overall aura of the position but they could not defend it and that's the difference between the average christian and, and a theologian right so a theologian the more you pastor and the more you write sermons the more you realize i need to exegete the text and arrive at the conclusion of the text mm -hmm. through diagramming and exposition and it's wonderful when you land at the same conclusion as the theologians you look up to you're not adopting their theology mm -hmm. you're arriving at the same theology and you go oh wow i looked at my commentary and it's saying exactly what i thought it was saying mm -hmm. this is good I'm not a heretic. No. I'm actually arriving at the same conclusion as my heroes of the faith. But people in post-millennialism, it's not an easy place to arrive. One, because you need to have an extensive systematic theology of the Old and New Testament. Um, there's just so much there. You also need to have enough time to get to the other positions. Mm -hmm. um, so I started off dispensational and historic pre-mill, then an all-mill. And I always just think all-mill are just post mills that don't have the balls to say that they're a post mill um and so all mills well not everybody all mills and optimistic 
they just don't want to take God at his word. And they don't want to essentially have, have a materialization or a manifestation of those things in real life. It's just, everything's spiritualized. Everything's, um, everything's, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing comes to fruition here on earth. And so when you have the time to get through those positions and you can actually defend your position, that, that is when I go, okay, this person really is post-mill. They're not just adopting a post-mill position. And so, um, so I do think that Gary DeMar, I have watched a bit of this from a distance. I'm speaking at a conference that he was speaking at and is no longer speaking at because of this. And, 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 I, I think that the dilemma that we are all prone to is believing what we want to believe. And I remember the journey of going Baptist, Calvinist, Reformed Baptist, pre-mill, amill, post-mill, theonomic, um, and even leaning heavily towards Presbyterian polity and, and now even leaning heavily Presbyterian. So, so there's a journey that has occurred and you feel like, my goodness, is this ever going to stop? You know, am I going to become a Catholic? Hmm. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, And so you, you have to be a good enough expositor to essentially go, find out where those guardrails are. So for example, like Thomism, right? Uh, the Thomas Aquinas stuff that's all over the internet. Mm-hmm. I'm like very weary of that stuff uh, or leery of that stuff. I, I'm just very like, whoa. Um, I read some of Aquinas' stuff and the, it's Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's Trent is using his doctrine and theology to form what the Catholic church believes today. And so I see some of those things and I go, that's definitely a guardrail. Um, I see some of the stuff even that comes out of the Anglican church and Peter Leithart and, and and I go, just, that's a boundary. Um, And, and uh, so the romanticness of theology is scary. Mm-hmm. As you see the flesh and the religiosity that's in your flesh that you you want to go higher and higher and higher to these places where other people haven't gone and you're discovering and exploring and there there is danger and that's why you need to be confessional yeah <laughs> um and surrounded by other men who are equally as theologically robust and can keep you away from cliffs that you don't want to get too close to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Um, yeah, that's helpful. And I I think even as you're thinking through this, um, you know, in the specific question of, of, you know, when you just described your trajectory of theology, except for the last point, I'm like, boom, 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 boom. I, I went to Pentecostal holiness college and then came out of college after going from Greg Boyd to, you know, I'm, I'm reading Greg Boyd as I'm listening to Mark Driscoll. And then 
reading John Piper as I'm into Clark Pinnock in college. And, and so I'm going through this and wrestling through this. And then all this stuff just changed so rapidly. It started with soteriology, which it seems to always start with. And then, you know, you go from there. And especially with this post-millennial conversation, um, and I'd love if we had time to talk theonomy, and and uh, I actually had Stephen Wolf on uh, just recently, and we talked about his Thomism and, and that being some of the foundation by which he builds out this Christian nationalism. And then as a Baptist, what's my on-ramp and why do I agree with some of his conclusions without coming from the same you know foundation? And he asks some of those questions in the book of how does a Baptist even get here? He doesn't know that 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 framework of how we even get there. But um, the pushback of, you know, really the resurrection is the death blow to full preterism. And I think there needs to be those cautions there because they're taking this hermeneutical route of, you know, of, of, of preterism and going to some dangerous places. And so I think, you know, as a word of caution, you know, I know I asked you the question and uh, here I am jumping in, but I think a word of caution to everybody out there when it comes to theological trends or shifts, be slow and patient and move at the pace that uh, you see the scriptures. You want to be firmly convicted in God's word about where you land and not because you want to land there. And brother, I love that word of caution, especially with with eschatology. If, if we don't want to land somewhere because we really want to, we want to land somewhere because we're convicted by God's word. And, and let me tell you this, I get to study 40 or 50 hours a week and probably you do too. Um, so the pace at which a guy like me can switch from a mill to post mill is radically different than the average Christian who's got a full-time job mm. and isn't a minister. Yeah. And so, you know, if it takes me 250 hours to make a switch of research and prayer time and discussion with my church and my wife and like other theological friends, that might take someone 10 years who's just an average church member. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I always like to distinguish that is that one, and for that reason, don't switch fast because to a congregant, they're going, whoa, how did you go yeah, from there right. to there? You're like, right. well, um, I know, I know 14 months seems fast for you because it would take you 10 years to do what I did in 14 mm-hmm. months. Yeah. Um, but I actually, you know, I always tell people it's not how many years you know the Lord, it's how many hours. Hmm. and and it's it really is that i mean you, you've that's what seminary does if you go to seminary and in five years you'll go from one spot to another spot because you got hours like just crazy amount of hours and um and so it, it is something that we need to be careful with. but yeah you need to shepherd your congregation so like i just don't when i make shifts i i i try to take them slow. Um, Mm -hmm. It took me about two years to get to post-millennialism from historic pre-mill. And and I had Doug Wilson in text messages and phone calls available to me, who's Mm -hmm. like the king of post-millennialism today. (laughs) So, so I had the, 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 the man to turn to when you had really tough questions. Mm -hmm. And he did once with me a 90 minute zoom call that I didn't record, which I should have mm-hmm. answering all the hardest questions I had about post-millennialism. And mm-hmm. that, that is the kind of stuff that um, you just need to be willing to do. Yeah. Uh, don't shift because you like it. Shift because you can actually defend it with scripture Yeah, um, and keep the consistent 
Um, and oh man, this, this is a big topic. I didn't expect you to say yeah. this, but this is this is a big issue among among theologians today because we live in the information age. Yeah, and we're getting more and more people that are having more information quick, and um, it is a discipline to be slow. And I, 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 one thing I said in that whole rant is confessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so whether it's the 1689, whether it's the Apostles Creed, whether it's uh, the, the Westminster Confession, I just go, stay there. Man, those, those confessions are so robust. You can spend your whole life di- digging into the truths of that, those confessions. Mm-hmm. They become great guardrails. Yeah, and, that's good. Um, and I just go, if DeMar goes this way, he's he's stepping outside of those confessions. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, you guys heard it here first. As the agnostic, as uh, many people have said, is the one that doesn't have the cojones to say that he's an atheist. So the Amil guy is the one that doesn't have the cojones to say he's post-mill. So you heard it from Dale Part- Partridge <laughs> right here on this podcast. Uh, for our, our elder team, we have a, we're a mixed bag when it comes to eschatology, and I, I'm not all that concerned about that. We have a, a, our newest elder candidate is a, a premillennial guy and he's a, he's a godly man and I love him dearly. And, um, and so these are in this particular area and issue, you can be, um, conf- you know, convinced about your position, but there is an open-handedness. It is interesting, Dale. And I hear people that are conf- you know convinced in their position with eschatology. I can lean in, hear them speak. And I can say, I, you know, I get why you are where you are. You know, I, I get that. I see where you're coming from. And I think that there there is some some humility that's required when it comes to um, eschatology, like like other you know theological positions that are that are more in the you know not necessarily in the top tier orthodoxy conversation. And um, so okay, but let's uh, go ahead and uh, turn the corner one more time. We got to wrap things up. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell us if if you guys have enjoyed this uh, conversation? I, I will have all the links in the show notes. But just tell us, Dale, where where we can go to find out more information about you. And I know you mentioned some of that stuff earlier, but point us there again. Yeah, relearn.org. You can find our shop there. You can also find all my books on uh, Amazon as well. But The Manliness of Christ, you can read it in 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Um, it's very short. And uh, yeah, I got a video of it here. And uh, Jesus is My Gender is a great book for kids between, you know, three and eight, 10 even. And it's a rhyming book that affirms biblical gender. It doesn't introduce transgender ideas. Um and then, uh, the, yeah, The Ground of Good Theology uh, is another book. I'm working right now, actually, on a book on head coverings. Um, it's called A Glory, uh, A Cover for Glory. And I've, my wife and I have been, my wife has been covering her head uh, during spiritual functions for nine years. So, so this is not new to us. Uh, and we've learned over the years more and more about that position. And so that's a new book that I'm working on. Uh, but yeah, you can follow along on the podcast at Real Christianity. Um, I'm an Instagram guy and so and Twitter. And so that's kind of the main places that I post. And so you can just look up relearn.org uh, on Instagram and Dale Partridge on Twitter. And those places I'm just posting content out every day, uh, all the time. Awesome. Yeah, we'd love to have anybody join. Okay, good deal. Hey, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Check out all the links that will be chock full. Uh, I should get them all there this time. I always forget to put particular links, but I'll try to get everything in here. Uh, Thanks so much, guys, for listening. And Dale, thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me.